Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasam. On the last full moon day, the Dhammapada verse that I commented on and sent out in our Dhammapada reflection program was verse 418. And the verse says, One who has abandoned liking and disliking, who is cooled, who is not swayed by worldly conditions, I call a great being. One who has abandoned liking and disliking, who is cooled, who is not swayed by worldly conditions, I call a great being. So what do we think the Buddha means by abandoning liking and disliking makes you great? Of course, we'd like to be considered great by the Buddha. That would be marvelous. So so we're obviously interested. What does the Buddha mean by abandoning liking and disliking? Does it mean that we don't feel anything? like a cold, drizzly, drich day is the same as a blue sky, sunny, warm day. We, everything's okay. We just feel, don't feel any different. Is that what he means by that? Or you've got a headache, an upset stomach, and an ingrown toenail, that's all fine, just just the same as if you're feeling healthy and well. Is that what we think the Buddha means by abandoning liking and disliking? There's a very helpful talk Ajahn Chah gave on liking and disliking. It's been transcribed, translated, published, and titled living with a cobra. I think it might also be called elsewhere the cobra of the mind. And in this talk, Ajahn Chah, he compares these moods of liking and disliking to a poisonous snake. The Thai word is muhao, which is a cobra, which is deadly poisonous. And, And he says these moods of liking and disliking the same as a cobra, in the sense that if you let the cobra go its own way, you don't interfere with it, there's no problem. If your relationship with the cobra is one of you get it, you interfere with it, you grab it, you hold it, it could bite you and kill you. And the point Ajahn Chah was making was that so it is with these moods, with these two tendencies of my liking and disliking. If we experience them, if our relationship with liking and disliking is one whereby we can allow them to be there just as they are, then there's no problem, according to Ajahn Chah. There's no problem. If we see them accurately, if our relationship is unobstructed, 
in effect is informed with right understanding or clear seeing or wisdom, then there's no problem with liking and disliking. The problem comes with misunderstanding and then interfering with. In other words, upadana comes in and makes a mess of everything. Clinging to liking and disliking. So it comes down to the work we have to do is not just to be getting rid of liking and disliking or manipulating liking and disliking or manipulating conditions to accord with liking and disliking, rather to do the work of taking full responsibility for our relationship to liking and disliking. Are we able to accord with these moods really, accurately? Do we understand them? Do we see them clearly? Or do we misunderstand them and misperceive them? There's another occasion where Ajahn Chah specifically addressed this liking, disliking. Uh, uh, I wasn't there for the second occasion. I was there for that first occasion. And the second one, I heard it reported about this this gentleman, this Thai gentleman, uh, visited Ajahn Chah and although he's very well educated, from what I hear, he, he wasn't particularly well informed with the Buddha's teachings. And uh, he, uh, he asked Ajahn Chah to explain, you know, what, what is the Eightfold Path? What is the middle way? And so Ajahn Chah very clearly, very succinctly, very simply, and I would think very helpfully pointed out, well, one extreme we have liking, the other extreme we have disliking, and then we also have the knowing, the middle way is the knowing of liking and disliking. I find that extremely helpful. You're not talking about trying to get rid of liking and disliking. Our body is influenced by the experiences we have, agreeable and disagreeable experiences. Cold, wet weather is disagreeable. Ingrown toenail, headache is disagreeable. Disliking is a natural response to disagreeability. Beautiful blue sky, warm weather, feeling healthy is agreeable. Liking is a perfectly functional, understandable response to such an agreeable condition. So the way to understand then I would suggest that what the Buddha is pointing at with regards to abandoning liking and disliking is abandoning clinging, abandoning grasping, attaching, interfering with these moods, cultivating our faculties, cultivating awareness, so as when liking arises, there's an appreciation of it for what it actually is. It's a conditioned reaction. We have all sorts of conditioned reactions, all sorts of different responses to situations, and some of them is utterly foolish, some of them, and utterly unreasonable. And do we have to interfere with them? Do we have to be defined by our conditioned 
responses to the world. The other day I was reading the news and it was reporting how the All Blacks and France were playing rugby at the World Cup and that France was winning and disliking arose in my mind. I don't want the French to win, I want the All Blacks to win. Actually, I left New Zealand 50 years ago and I've been to France, nice place, lots of nice French people. What's a big deal about wanting the All Blacks? Well, there's a condition, reaction, definitely. Well, the French didn't thrash the All Blacks, but they did win. And there was a feeling of, hmm, don't like that. A minor disliking, fortunately, it wasn't overwhelming disliking. Some things we are not necessarily going to be able to change. The conditioning that we have is going to trigger liking and disliking. What can change is our relationship to liking and disliking. I think this is a very important understanding. When we read the scriptures, the Buddha said, one who has abandoned liking and disliking, I call a great being. So, oh, I've got to stop liking and disliking things. And that, I would say, is an uninspected. I think we should see that as an uninspected interpretation of what the Buddha is saying and unhelpful. I would say even dangerous because we end up fighting ourselves. Let's imagine if Ajahn Chah was visiting here at Hana Monastery and at breakfast time he was given a tray with two bowls of porridge on it. One bowl was salty rice porridge with big lumps of garlic and onion and lashings of chili powder. And the other bowl of porridge was Hanum power porridge with walnuts and organic sultanas floating around in it. Which one do we think Ajahn Chah would eat? Well, he might taste both, think he would reject the power porridge and go straight for the salty onion garlic porridge. He certainly would. If, on the other hand, all he was given was this slightly strange Han and Power porridge, do we think Ajahn Chah would suffer? I don't think so. It may not accord with his preferences. However, that doesn't mean to say that he doesn't have preferences. Um, the question is how do we have our preferences? Do we have our preferences in a way whereby we suffer, or do we have them in a way whereby we learn from them? And this is conditioning of the world. The body is conditioned. If you grow up in the northeast of Thailand, your body is conditioned to find garlic-flavored rice porridge preferable to Han and Pao porridge. There's no moral fault in that, that's just conditioning. Well, I was talking with Kiwili the other day about how I lived in Thailand for about five years in the second half of the 1970s. And I can remember the first time I left Thailand and got off the plane in Australia and it was cool. And, oh, my brain's working again. Uh, I grew up in a temperate climate and I, I find a cooler weather uh, more agreeable than steamy hot weather in the 
forest in the northeast of Thailand. And other people who grew up in the northeast of Thailand might find the, the cooler weather disagreeable. Agreeable or disagreeable is not the point. Our relationship to it is definitely the point, and that's something that we can do something about. And so, once again, it's do we create a problem out of liking and disliking, or do we have the capacity to accord with liking and disliking? Can we see them, or do we make a problem out of them? Unfortunately, most of us, most of the time, are probably making a problem. If we get what we don't like, or, or even if we get what we like, there's a very real chance that we're going to be making a, a problem out of that as well. When we get what we like, we tend to lose ourselves and say, oh, this is how things should be. The weather should always be blue-skied and warm and agreeable and lovely. And, and if we get lost in that, agreeable as it is, understandable as it is that we like it and find it preferable, if we get lost in it, then when it changes, what happens? Disagreeability arises, disliking arises, and we get lost in that. We set ourselves up for that. It doesn't have to be that way. That's the point. That's the point is it doesn't have to be that we get lost. That's the offering. That's the teaching that the, the Buddha and the great disciples have given us, that we can't stop liking and disliking necessarily. What we can do is develop our faculties. This is why over and over again we talk about the five spiritual faculties, sadha, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, faith or trust in true principles. Yeah. There, is, there are true principles that we can trust in, like the power of, of intentional inhibition, developing that. In part, it's called indriya sangha, the ability to restrain the automatic reaction to follow impulses, to train ourselves, to inhibit the reaction, to, like developing a, a sort of spiritual muscle. Not compulsive inhibition, but intentional inhibition. As I indriya sangha, to, to have faith in that true principle. If we have faith in it and we cultivate it, then when there's some impulse arises in the mind, like liking, can we see it, know it, and accord with it, or do we just react and get pulled into it and get lost in it? If disliking arises, can we see it and appreciate that this is an opportunity to cultivate our relationship with disliking, or do we just want to get lost in it? Without indriya sangra, without intentional inhibition, there's a very real chance we just react according to our condition preferences. And so, having faith in true principles, energy, virya, enthusiasm, interest, like being interested in dhamma, being interested in actuality, being interested in having agreeable conditions to live in, and always changing your phone to the latest device and upgrading the furniture in your house and, and going on a new, improved, better holiday cruise. I mean, that's interest in the material world, and it's understandable. However, it's very energy extravagant, and we tend to end up getting disappointed over and over again. Interest in actuality, interest in Dhamma, being interested, having energy, to be interested in what makes a difference, what is it that conduces to balance, 
how can we cultivate whole being awareness, for instance. You know, maybe we've, we've had a really good education and our brain works very well. However, on the emotional level, we keep getting lost in stuff. You know, keep getting lost in indignation. Uh, it's, um, it surprises me the number of Buddhists I meet who say, oh, I just can't watch the news. It just makes me too angry. Uh, my feeling is, I say, well, watch the news more often. Feel this anger, really sit there and watch the news and fully feel the pain that you're causing yourself by getting lost and disliking. The pain of anger is just where we relate to disliking in an unskillful, uninformed way. Disliking is natural. Seeing the sadness of the world, the, the foolishness of the world, that's perfectly understandable that this disliking arises. However, if we cling to it and then the energy goes up in our head and says, it shouldn't be this way, human beings shouldn't be this way, and then we're lost in it. So being interested in actuality and reality, what really is the cause of suffering? Is it the world? In many ways, the world now is better than it's ever been. In some ways, it's true it's not. And however, in some ways, it's, it's better. There's less wars around and more opportunities, more education, and better health. And, and certainly where we live, the people living by the rule of law is a very good fortune. Uh, at least we don't have the Vikings invading us here, which that used to happen. And the, Things are going in a good direction. However, if we're not careful, we can look at it and we can think it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Because, what? Because you see the pain, the sadness of the world, and then disliking rises, and we get pulled into a heedless reaction of clinging to it, and then the energy goes up in our head and says, it shouldn't be this way. We can imagine how it should be and might have been or could be. and We don't have the energy, maybe, if we haven't developed, we're not investing in developing their spiritual faculties, we'd have the energy to get interested, enthusiastic about understanding that which accords with balance. You know, yes, we have all the good ideas in our heads, but our hearts are not well informed, or our, maybe in our, our belly, our intuition is not alive. Getting interested in balanced aliveness in our, in our belly, in our hearts, in our heads, in our whole being, that's a wholesome quality of energy and interest. And, and sati, disciplined attention, that uh, having worked on that faculty, like the capacity to be present for experience. Why is it that we get lost? Often because we don't have the maturity of attention. We don't have the maturity of attention to be able to stay with an experience and say, where, when, and how do we do what we do? That means we react in a way which pulls us into the vortex of suffering. And so with increased disciplined attention, with a steadiness of attention, or with samadhi, the collectedness of attention, it's like disciplined attention and a collectedness of attention, it's also like, it's like having a torch with good batteries in it. You can, it's a better chance you can see where you're going. If we don't have disciplined attention or collectedness of attention, then we can't see where we're going. Or panya, the inclination to ask just the right sort of question in the right way at the right time. 
that's a particular sort of skill. Just the same way as like putting the right amount of salt into the food at the right time. Too much salt, you ruin it. And so likewise with educating, cultivating awareness, cultivating the heart, knowing the right kind of question to ask at the right time and in the right manner. So these spiritual faculties, if we've invested even to an initial degree, then there's a chance that we'll be able to study liking and disliking. We won't just be reacting to them. We'll be interested in studying them. And personally, I, I do find them interesting. I'm not at all interested in getting rid of liking and disliking. I am very interested in being able to accord with liking and disliking. A couple of nights ago, before I went to bed, I sent off two emails to two different people on different sides of the planet, as it happened, <laughs> wanting to set up some phone conversations. And one was an ex-Anagarika who had been away for a while and had asked to catch up and I was interested to hear how he's doing and looking forward to having that conversation. So I said, okay, let's, let's talk and on Skype. And, uh, and the other one was a, a, a senior monk in our community who I, I think it would be useful if we could talk about some community dynamics. And so I tried to set up these two phone calls. And, and so went to bed, woke up in the morning, and then when I got round to look at my phone, and they, oh, two messages. And the first one was from the sex on Agarika, and very friendly message. Oh, look forward to seeing you, Lumpur, six o'clock night on, on Skype. Oh, that's nice. Oh, very good. Felt good about that. And the other one said, hmm, I meant to set up an automatic notice to say that I'm on retreat, and I'll do that now, in capital letters, N-O, not W, now. So, ouch. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and... I mean, it's perfectly understandable. It's the rains retreat, and it is what we do at this time of year. And the capital letters, he might have just meant that for himself to kind of, oh, I should have done this earlier. So now he's kind of giving himself a message. However, I confess that when I read it, <laughs> for me, it triggered a, like an old bruise in the center of my chest. Kind of, ouch. Rejection. Rejection. And ouch. Well, that's interesting. So I decided to put some time aside and really investigate. Here we have got writing, very close succession. Liking and disliking, agreeable and disagreeable. So I spent some time looking at these and asking the question, is it possible? Can we cultivate the kind of relationship with liking and disliking whereby we can accommodate both of them. And, and this, is, this is why, again, talking about developing the spiritual faculties and the, so we can engage in a feeling inquiry. Like this is in the body. This is not in your head. I mean, talking about clinging and not clinging and letting go and all that on the, on the level of the head, a lot of this stuff doesn't make sense. And you say, well, the Buddha said abandoning liking and disliking means you've got to get rid of liking and disliking from the perspective of being identified with thinking, you could well come up with that interpretation. 
from a practice perspective, we need to stop and really look at what does it mean to be clinging to liking and disliking, and what is the experience of letting go of liking, disliking? What does it feel like? So it becomes a feeling inquiry, not a conceptual inquiry. So I spent some time just really feeling like, can you feel the pleasure of the agreeable conversation that I can look forward to having at six o'clock tonight with this friendly fellow? And can I also feel this pain that I didn't actually spend a lot of time analyzing it as a rejection. It was more like, as I said, just an ache, like a bruise in the chest. Is it possible to feel around it? Is it like, is it ultimate? No, it's not ultimate. Can we inquire in a feeling way to whether there are edges to this pain with perhaps the suggestion that there's a space in which this painful feeling is arising. It wasn't there before, it's there now. In what is this arising and ceasing? And this kind of inquiry is so as to let go of the heedless, compulsive, conditioned habit of clinging, getting lost in liking and disliking. Following this thread of inquiry into a feeling investigation in relationship to our conditioned preferences, possibly the question arises, it would be understandable if the question did arise, well, if I let go of liking and disliking, if I let go of my preferences, what's left? Who am I? That's an understandable question. And... If we ask that question in our heads, we could get quite confused, go round in circles. Is it this? Is it that? And then, from a practice perspective, it's a very good question to ask. That is, we ask the whole being, ask all of us, who am I if I let go of liking or disliking? And feel that question. What is there besides these conditioned reactions? In what are these sensations of liking and disliking arising and ceasing? And maybe you'll start to sense that this quality of just knowing awareness can be there at the same time. Maybe. You'll recognize it. You can feel, sense, a quality of knowingness, just knowing awareness, at the same time. So just because there's liking there or disliking there doesn't mean to say that there's anything going wrong. It can feel like something's going wrong if we cling to these things, we get lost in them. So inquiring in a way whereby we're not merely judging our condition, liking or disliking, as a kind of reaction, However, getting interested, getting interested in our relationship to them. And this question of, well, who am I if I let go of liking and disliking? Maybe we start coming up with 
ideas like, oh, I am just knowing awareness. That's an understandable thought to have. However, isn't there also the possibility that we can know such a thought is arising? And what's that? What is it? In what is all this activity arising and ceasing? And that's a question that we should ask very carefully, very gently. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.